Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Welcome to Oh Captain My Captain. I nearly forgot the name of the podcast, then, Ricky. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh Captain My Captain with me, Mark Goldberg, who has been homeward bound and is now home. Welcome back, Mark. I mean, you don't quite have your <laughs> usual background, but at least you're in the same building we usually recorded. As if it's taken you until the last episode to get back there. Penultimate episode. We've got one more. Yeah, hopefully by next episode you'll be back there. Oh, that'll be exciting, won't it? Although I don't think I will, because I'm, I mean, I'm home, <laughs> but I'm home for like uh, 12 hours before I go away again. So, uh, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I showed you my house. So, I live with Matt Ewing's uh, great comedian. He's doing some telly stuff uh, this week. He's doing a thing with uh, Sarah Pascoe, um, the Lectures series on Dave. And I showed you my house. How would you describe my house uh, if you had to describe it to uh, a stranger? It looks like what you would walk into if you were like trying to investigate a serial killer and you were still on the fence if he did it or not. But then when you walked in, you were like, oh, shit, he definitely did it. He absolutely, yes, absolutely. Um, it's like... Dolls and scissors and glue. I don't know what he's done. There's a shopping cart. Oh, there's a dolly shopping cart. But the shopping cart, I think, is still in here. So <laughs> if I was in, if I was investigating this, what I would say is he needed a dolly and urgently went into a shop, found the first one, and she just happened to come with her own shopping cart. He didn't need the shopping cart. He just needed the dolly to do some experiment on or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a good deduction for me. Um, so, yeah, so I am home. Uh, we had the Russell Howard show uh, went out on Saturday. I uh, I listened to it. Um, I'm going to say Ricky Masindo. I uh, say give up stand-up now, give up medicine now, and just become an editor of podcast. <laughs> like, how did you manage to make that mental thing into something that sounded coherent? <laughs> because we had a lot of conversation that we recorded where it wasn't actually for the podcast. So I just fit little sentences in there to try and make the transition. Like if you go back and listen to it, when Russell comes in, he has no introduction. It's just me going, oh, it's Russ Howard. And then he comes in because we didn't introduce him. So that was all we could do. Nice. We even, uh, I even... Re pre-recorded or not pre-recorded but we recorded for the show a little two minute thing explaining why the show was so fucked up and weird last week <laughs> yeah because uh, i thought we might have to do but we didn't even need that you didn't even have to put that in yeah it came together quite well uh i mean for you all at home there were probably three or four different stop starts because of internet because we had kind of double booked ourselves it was just an absolute mess 
Um, and the other thing as well, I do have to take uh, umbrage at this. That our, I did a big rant at the end of the uh, after we finished the recording. I did a yeah. big rant, um, yeah. which you didn't, which you didn't put in. You you Thanks. listened to that rant and you just thought, yeah, it's already long enough. Over's mental, <laughs> mental breakdown is not going in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because you switched your camera back on at the end, so it sounded like the problem with COVID. Uh, oh, really? People of cut. Yeah, it was just like that. Yeah. Oh, I see. I just to let you know that your example then genuinely the only word you used was uh, the problem is people's of people of colour so if you could do me a <laughs> that's all you were speaking about I was like okay. no that wasn't all I was speaking oh, about oh captain my captain has taken a turn man. <laughs> captain I've just discovered that there's money in being right wing so I've decided <laughs> I've decided to take that sweet sweet Andrew Lawrence Mark Dolan bunch uh, and Feel the news. I, absolutely. So um, what's the feedback been like to the Russell thing? I've heard some uh, people talk to me uh, and uh, I really liked it. Have you had people talk to you as well sort of about that podcast? Yeah, yeah. I've had people messaging me saying they liked it. And uh, thanks to everyone who says you liked it. It was it was really good. It was a really fun one to do. Um, so, so far, this is our most viewed episode in the amount of time it's been out. So which I is like a really good sign. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good sign. So the podcast is growing. Don't forget to follow us at OcapMyCapPod on Twitter. Give us a tweet. Give us a shout out. Say hello. All the good stuff. Um, let me ask you this question, uh, which I don't think I've ever asked you before. Do you think your comedy peers yeah. uh, are, are a bit jealous of you for having all having contact and access to all of these amazing comedians. Like, obviously, we try and share the love with the advice. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what this podcast is about. But do you yeah. ever have people go in, oh, well, you know, I mean, it's fine for Ricky. Ricky can do uh, 10 minutes because, you know, he's made with Jimmy Carner. You know, do you get <laughs> stuff like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if I do get stuff like that, it's probably behind my back. But uh, the way I see it is this podcast is spreading the knowledge around because uh, someone has to be there sitting in the chair being told by Jimmy Carr, I need to give up stand up and just do medicine. But <laughs> that's very, very true. Yeah. And actually, all of those people who who might be openly or secretly jealous of you, they should wait for series three and series <laughs> four. Um, because when you start making terrible decisions, when the gigs start going badly, uh, when you haven't progressed uh, comedically, then that's when we come for you, mate. That is when exactly. we abs. You are in our targets now. Exactly, exactly. And if it makes you feel any better, I just had, I just had a big thing you've been waiting for. Guess what? Go on. I went to London yesterday, did two... Oh, shows. here we... Oh, come on! Come yeah, on! I did two shows. One went fine. The other one pff, was an absolute mess. You <laughs> die on your ass! Yeah, it was the comedy store gong, uh, gong show. It was absolute travesty. Christ in heaven. That was a learning experience, if ever there was one. 
you how quickly were you gonged off? Uh about a minute. A minute. Okay. So yeah. they didn't gong you off in a kind of funny, funny gong way. Yeah. They gonged yeah. you off because you weren't doing very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like Yes, yes. Yeah. I should See? not take this is I'm the worst inspirational teacher in the world by taking so much joy out of my out of you my students. It. You love displeasure. You love, it. <laughs> you love it. you've been waiting for the time when I slip up finally. Okay, firstly, let's let let's do this firstly. The comedy store, yeah. what a room. Like it's a beautiful know, right? room to play, isn't it? Incredible room, incredible room, yeah. It was like um, a, Jared Christmas was comparing. Yeah, yeah, Jared Christmas, yeah. What a beard. Um, secretly, I will tell you that the guy who won it um, has already, he's already got a little bit of a career. He's support, <laughs> he's done, I can't remember his name, but he's done <laughs> Comedy Garden in Brighton with Pasco. And yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> he's a good act, right? He's a good comic. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like, um, it, was, it was definitely a lot of people of, uh, very experienced. And then Little Masindo. Uh, what number did you go on in the lineup? Quite late on, uh, like, in the second half, like, probably number 20 or something out of 30. Had you seen many people sort of do badly before you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people did badly. Like, I think about... Seven people went through to the final. Okay, and you didn't go through to the final. No, 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 not even. Close. What was the? I'm loving. I love this so much. What was? Maybe. What type of bad reaction was it? Was it silence? Was it just? Was it? Were people chatting? Was there aggression? What sort of death was it? Because I'm was... going to say it probably wasn't even a death, was it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a weird one. It was such a weird one. It was because like, I thought about it uh, a lot, obviously. And um, I think it made me realize that like for the first minute of most of my sets, I'm, I'm not that funny. Like I'm not like, I'm like, good one. <laughs> but like, <laughs> for, for some reason, I just have this, I just can't write an opening bit for some reason. Like I just, I, I like, I have like I have stuff where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm I'm proud of myself for writing that. That came together well, but it's never at the beginning because I'm always like thinking like, what should I say? What should I say? What should I say? And then I just get whatever out so I can get to the stuff that I'm like, oh, you know, this is something I actually think is good. So I kind of before I went on stage, I was like, fuck, like. I'm going to have to do like a word soup until I get to the actual good part. Uh, but what I should have just done is just started with the good part. But yeah, it was, uh, it's like, it's so, it's so weird. Cause it's also, they don't have the minute grace. Like some other gong shows have, it's just straight in with the savagery. Um, did you take a friend with you who had never seen you do stand up before or had they seen um, you before? No, 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 no. I was actually, I was visiting a friend in London. So I went to, I went to dinner slash lunch. Then I went to the first open mic and then they had to leave. So then I went to the comedy store. Oh, okay. Uh, we are joined by Athena Kablenu, who's come into the room. 
Um, I've seen her name. I can't see her. Hi, Athena. Hey, Hello. how are you? Hey, yes. How are you? Oh, we have uh, we have Athena and guest as well. Aww. Yes. I'm going to um, put him down, see if he chills out. Come on. <laughs> Cool. Oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, Ricky's yeah. getting broody. Um, Athena, Ricky, Ricky, Athena. Ricky. Hi, Athena. How's it going? I'm very, very well. Um, we have sort of already started the podcast because Ricky had an experience last night, which I have been waiting for Ricky to have for ages. Right. Because uh, Ricky's only done sort of 25, 30 gigs or so. Athena, get ready for this. And um, I hope your reaction is the same as mine, so I don't come across <laughs> as such a dick. Um, uh, Ricky uh, had his first death last night. Oh, Ricky. Yeah. Oh, Athena's so much nicer than yeah, me. Yeah, I see. This is why we have guests on. <laughs> oh, Ricky. You know what, man? Like, the first one, it's, to be honest, you did yourself a, um, an injustice waiting so long. You want to get it out in single... <laughs> You want to have a death in single figures. You want to die on your fifth gig or something. You don't want to wait 30 something gigs. You want to get yeah. it out of the way. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel? My... How does it feel? Ah, it felt like getting hit by a car in front of a group of people. But apart from that, it was fine. It was fine. I'm a stronger <laughs> person for it. Yeah, I mean, there's this though, isn't it? There's I, there's, I played to silence for the whole time. Or there's, oh, it just wasn't very good. Was it that? What kind of death was it? Was it, it was okay. so it was the comedy store gong show it was oh, the that's not a death go away really. oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> go away you should have seen it Athena. you should have seen it that's every that's just not that's not a show that like if, getting, <laughs> saying that you died at the comedy store gong show is just like saying that you you were sick, violently sick after drinking a pint of vodka like you're not ill <laughs> You just had vodka. That's just how it is. Yeah, that's that way. Uh, that's not a death. Go away. Come back. You got a real death story. Come back. You got. A real death story. Uh, <laughs> oh, you see, now Athena has ruined it for me a little bit because I was really enjoying Ricky's discomfort, and and and, and now Athena has come in with, yeah, that doesn't really count as a death. Okay, we're just gonna have to keep waiting. <laughs> yeah, wait for that really embarrassing one. <laughs> Yeah, but the longer you wait, the harder the, you know. The harder they come, the harder they fall, right? So yeah, exactly, exactly. It's going to be a big one. You want to get that uh, out of the way quick. Talked about this on the podcast before when we did a competition special with Josh Jones and uh, Takisa, and we talked about how when you do a when you die, especially even at something like a gong show, it's not just the death that is something; it's also how you deal with that death. Ricky, mm. were there? Were there other people there last night who might have died worse than you who seemed genuinely distraught? Um, yeah, definitely. Like, there were some people who essentially walked away in, like, either tears or very, very angry. Like, swearing at the audience. Like, one guy got into an argument with this guy who kept, like, piping up in the audience. It was a, it was like like a few steps away from just a brawl. Like at some point, that gong show. It's like everyone is just so out for blood. Like it's crazy. It's absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I wish I was there. But, but Athena's right. You wait until you've had a proper death. Wait until you've had, you know, fifteen minutes of silence with 
people who don't want to be there and don't want you to be there. Adina, do you remember your first or do you remember like your first notable death? Oh, that's really interesting. I don't know. I, I just died so often. It just, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I'm not sure if I remember my first notable death at the beginning, but I do remember, I think you remember them more when you're good at comedy, you know? And then when it's, and then, so I remember going to Cardiff Glee and that was my worst death. I've, I've never played a, a show as bad as that. And I'd been gigging for like um, five years at that point. I was, you know, I was working. And that, you know, and yeah, that that's that's the one that always stands out. Whenever whenever anyone asks about a death, I always think back to Cardiff Glee and shiver. What um was it a Thursday or was it a Friday? <laughs> oh, Saturday? It, it was a Friday night. Come on, it was a Friday. Oh, night. okay, right. It, it was like you know you know what it's like. It was um not the crowd to do what I had for them. I don't know what I'll tell you what it was. It was my first gig back after Edinburgh. So I'd just done a run in Edinburgh. And I had a booking for Cardiff Lee, like, you know, like the next day. So I was in Edinburgh mode. So I was like, hey guys, so gentrification, isn't it terrible? And it's like, no, 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 uh... they, don't, they don't want that. Uh, it's not like, uh, and yeah, and you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, social commentary. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, they want, you know, there's, there's <laughs> I'm sure there was an inflatable dick in the crowd. Like, it's, <laughs> that should have been a big clue. Um, and it's mad. I, and the crazy thing is I do, like I, I do like all the stags. I used to do all the stags and, and hen do's for mirth. And I do those kind of shows all the time. I don't know what I was thinking, but do you know what? They were very kind. They, they weren't like, oh, you're horrible at the stage. They, they were like encouraging. They were like, go on. You'd hear these individual voices going, you can do it and all this stuff. And it was just horrible, worst. And it was, you know, it's, it was the Cardiff Glee. So, and I live in London, so I had to get the train all the way there, paid for my Airbnb, done my free open spot. Because it was like a ten-minute open spot, you know. It's just oh god, horrible. Um, if you've made it seem as if this podcast is better produced than it is, because you mentioned your death and talk about just coming out of Edinburgh, and I wanted to yeah. do this episode today about Edinburgh specifically because it is the twenty-seventh of July today, and so most people in normal years would be going up to Edinburgh sort of this week, really. Uh, sometimes the Edinburgh Festival, though it happens in the whole of August, uh, sometimes you can actually get some of those previews, maybe, um, you know, uh, 30th, 31st, something like that. So, um, yeah, this would be today. Ricky, tell me what you know about the Edinburgh Festival. Ricky, the Quizindo. Um, first of all, have you ever been to Edinburgh? No, I haven't. Remember, I haven't been north of Birmingham. So <laughs> Edinburgh is still yet to come. I'm going to Edinburgh in a couple of weeks to go watch some stand-up. Like, uh, but what I know about Edinburgh, it's a massive cultural drama, theatrical thingy where loads of people come and perform and you can kind of uh like get venues rent them out sell tickets do your performances there's there's loads of stand-up but there's also like other stuff as well it's kind of like internationally renowned as well like you get a lot of americans and stuff that come to do uh stuff in edinburgh and come watch yeah that that's pretty much all i can think of and it's also it's a milestone for a lot of comedians to go do edinburgh at some point yeah um, Athena, how many times have you done it kind of in different incarnations? 
Oh, wow. So I've actually, I've been to Edinburgh quite a few times. So I went up maybe two or three years, not to do shows, but to just watch stuff and do, you can do lots of open spots in Edinburgh. So you can perform loads. So I'd use it as an opportunity to just like write lots of material and watch lots of comedy. Um, and then I did a work in progress uh, and then I did two full hours. So I've probably been up in total maybe six years. I went up maybe six years in a row, actually. Um, and that comprised of, of, of those, those things, like just hanging out, having a nice time, doing a work in progress and then doing two hours. Um, I will now do for Ricky Masinda because he's looking confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and for uh, our noble listener, I will now do uh, the world's quickest um, version of my experience in Edinburgh, uh, talking about all the different ways that you can do it, all that sort of stuff. And I will end up with a piece of information um, that I will give Athena. And Ricky, what I want you to do, when I give this piece of information, I want you to look Athena in the eyes and I want you to explain the reaction that she does, okay? (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is the piece of information right at the end of what I'm just about to say. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I first went up to Edinburgh in 1999 um, to watch Russell in the semi-finals and final of Save It Funny. Then I went up sort of 2000, 2001, 2003, 2002, 2003. Then I did my first package show, which was the big value show in... Uh, 2004, oh, Ricky put his glasses on to really get the Athena uh, look because I know Athena will, will make a face because <laughs> Athena is a comedian with knowledge. Um, I then uh, did, uh, so you do a package show, Big Value. Then the year after, I did another package show, which was called uh, The Comedy Zone in the Pleasance. Um, and the Pleasance is like a big courtyard. It's sort of, I suppose, the hub of Edinburgh. So what you tend to do, you go up doing smaller shows, smaller venues, smaller package shows, and then you gradually, in theory, work up to this point where you are kind of the big dog and you are in the big venues and you're doing your solo show. Um, and I did my solo shows in 2006, seven and eight. Get ready to look her in the eye. And I did my solo shows with Avalon. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mark. Fair enough. Yeah. So, Ricky, what did you get from that face? I can't. I can't even. I can't tell. That reaction could either be disgust or impressed slash like, <laughs> what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> something mark has an insane work ethic every time i see him he's traveling around the country you know working and now i know why he's still he's still playing <laughs> that, that avalon. and no shade to avalon guys you're great but that you've got a reputation man <laughs> okay. well so firstly um so let's do this uh let's because i am i am absolutely open about it and if i uh, if this podcast is for anything it's to help people understand and and actually one of the things about this podcast it came from the idea of trying to encourage more black more asian more minority more working class people to do stand-up and i imagine every single young black and young working class person who's just about to hear how much my edinburgh shows 
uh, costly. Uh, I imagine we'll absolutely go mental at the money that I spent Ooh. with Avalon. Oh, we're um, going to get the numbers now. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll give you some numbers, oh, mate. Wow. Okay. No, go. no one, no one does the numbers. So, um, Ricky Masindo, my yeah. first hour. Oh, let's do it as a quiz. Let's do it as <laughs> Athena versus Ricky. Um, <laughs> the quiz. Yeah, Mark loves a quiz. Who said that? Uh, Ricky. My first. Ed- no, I, let's do all three together. Okay. Ricky Masindo, how much money? Do you think I either made or lost so I can give you the whole thing in my three hours of Edinburgh, 2006, 7 and 8? So we'll start with a a neutral zero and you can tell me how much profit or how much loss happened uh, in that time. Oh, all three. So can you tell me how big they were? Like Okay, yeah, so the first... The first Edinburgh I did, I think I was in edit. I was in below, and I think my uh, numbers were about seventy-eight percent. Uh-huh. My second one was, uh, I think, beside, and my numbers were probably forty percent. And then I did the underbelly, uh, and my numbers were something like eighty percent. And I, I was okay. in for that one. I think it was a hundred and twenty capacity room. Okay, wow, so this is a tough one. Because most of the expenses are going to be, like, the venue, I assume, like, hiring that out, like, advertising, printing pamphlets and stuff. So you got pretty full on the amount of people. So I'm assuming if you made a loss, it wouldn't be horrendous. Like, Oh, dear. <laughs> Athena, don't help him. Oh, dear. Oh. Don't help. Athena, do not help him. What, like, how do you say, what else, like, what else, would be, I guess also, like, including travel, your time. Okay, I'm just going to say, uh, for every year, you lost £2,000. Let's just go. <laughs> oh, oh, am I, am I wrong? Schools, oh my God. Um, Ricky Masindo has come uh, in with a net loss of £6,000 over three years. Athena Cableno, please give me your answer. Okay, so my answer is the funniest bit of of, of that response was, oh, you sold tickets, so you must have made money. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) That's the funniest thing I've heard today. You know what? You'll never die. That's the funniest thing. (laughs) You'll never die at a comedy gig. You're a very funny man. Imagine, imagine selling tickets and making money, Mark. Imagine. <laughs> yeah, I know, I can't. <laughs> imagine it. Um, oh, no, God. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to say three Edinburgh's. Let's say, uh, uh, let's say six grand each. And that's being kind, Mark. That's being kind. I'm going to assume you made money because you're a funny guy. So six times three, 18 grand. And then, you know, I'll just, and I, won't, I won't section it up. I'll just say, you know, 18 grand was what it cost you. Okay. Um, so... That's not bad, actually. Uh, so, uh, full disclosure, um, I was with Avalon as a client for five years. Um, my agent was great and is great. Uh, I'm not with her anymore, but she's a great person. I like, I do quite a lot for Avalon. At this time, back in the mid-2000s, I was also starting doing deal or no deal. So I had the money. Basically, I was giving them 
25% of what I uh, was w- earning, I was putting that in a pot to then pay off Edinburgh. Um, and I started doing Deal or No Deal in 2005, so I already had a pot of money that would wait for me um, for uh, my first Edinburgh bill, which my first Edinburgh bill, I think, was 7000 Um, My second Edinburgh bill was about 8000 And so already Ricky is out by quite what a way. What the fuck? What the fuck? And then my third Edinburgh bill, I knew that I probably wasn't going to do Edinburgh again for a while. And so I just went big. <laughs> I got <laughs> the biggest posters. I did a show where I walked from Bristol to Edinburgh. So I knew I had something PRable about it. I knew I had a fairly big room. Um, I think my last Edinburgh loss was £13,000. Oh, Mark, come on. Like, I know. Big, isn't it? You no, know, that's a big, that's a big loss. But can I say, not not atypical. Okay, that's we just give just to give it context to so anyone listening, and that's mad. The, all those numbers, that's not you can talk to any, you can get 10 comedians in a room and you'll hear similar, similar stories. Um, yes, and that's you know, it's a big, I'm not going to say problem, but I think you have to have your eyes open when you make decisions in your comedy career as to whether or not those are going to be great for Edinburgh. So, for management's a really good one, like, I never really thought about how the manager I had would impact what I do in Edinburgh. So Avalon are very unique in that they, not unique, but they're one of the management companies that will really want to understand what you're doing in Edinburgh and they'll really want to be involved. Like just the fact that they're putting money in a way, like you're going to Edinburgh. That's where some managers are like, (laughs) some managers literally don't care. Like my manager spends two days in Edinburgh and she leaves and she goes, cause she's like, it's Edinburgh. (laughs) It's Edinburgh, who cares, right? And, And it really depends which manager suits your mentality, you know, that, the the latter suited me you know I didn't need someone breathing down my neck forcing me to go to Edinburgh I needed to be in full control of that and having you know being a bit older and having responsibilities meant I didn't need a management company taking my money and forcing me to spend it in Edinburgh I needed to be in full control of those decisions so you know definitely as you get in, on, on in your comedy career and you start to think about Edinburgh uh, when managers approach you and they will approach you because you're funny, like I said. <laughs> when managers <laughs> approach you, the first, if you want to go to Edinburgh, you really want to understand what that looks like. And you can ask them, just say, look, are you going to force me to go to Edinburgh? Are you going to take control of my PR? Are you going to take control mm. of my of my advertising um, and things like that? Because if they are, you have to think about whether or not you want to relinquish that control and whether or not if you do, that's going to be beneficial to you. Because it might be as well. Mm. Avalon, I mean, Avalon are Avalon for a reason. <laughs> you know I mean? like huge- yeah, and I, did, so, and I did really well out of it. Ricky, the best way of describing Edinburgh, and I wanted to do this quickly. We've only been talking for 20 minutes. We've got a bit more time. I wanted to get this one out of the way quickly. It feels like we've jumped into it. And I I, I sort of like to think that everyone who's listening is listening to this bit like it's the end of a horror film. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, wanted us to, I wanted us to switch on the telly for the final... 15 minutes of The Exorcist, the final 15 minutes of The Blair Witch Project, the final 15 minutes of Final Destination, so we can then hear this this bit and then work backwards into other ways of doing Edinburgh and other ways of uh, doing your career. Because the fact of the matter is, I did have the money and I had the money because I was doing warm-up. And Edinburgh on one side, and Ricky didn't use this phrase when he was describing Edinburgh, but Edinburgh is a trade show. 
for a lot of people. And yeah. if you're if you're on Dragons Den mm. and you've invented your uh, your hot sauce or your way of you know putting petrol in your car without getting your hands dirty and you want everyone to know about this, you will spend thousands of pounds going to a trade fair to have your little stall and to get people to buy your product. And and especially in the mid-2000s, that was what Edinburgh was. It was a massive trade fair and things like the Free Fringe hadn't really started at that point. So... They sort of started around maybe 2007, 2008 properly. And even at that point, <laughs> I remember bumping into a comic who was doing the free fringe with a friend and we were walking around going, oh, shit, this is a... I hope he's all right because he's chosen to do the free fringe. That's a bit weird. And then five years later, you bump into a comic who has decided to do the pleasant and you go... God, I hope he's all right because he's decided to do the pleasant. That's what we were like, like the the change was so massive. Yeah, I mean the free fringe. I mean, I just sorry to interrupt. I did my first um, work in progress at the free fringe, and to this, you know, I've never seen so much money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I can't like, and I I wonder why I went to the paid fringe to be honest. Um, and you can really do really well on it, but you have to know the venues and you have to get your marketing right and you have to have a good show. I mean, it sounds like basic, but you know, you, you you have to take it really seriously, and you have to get your marketing right, and you have to have a good room. Um, and I I was lucky enough at that time to like, I think I just come off the BBC final thing actually, so I think that helped me a lot because people kind of all the punters when they're looking at who to watch at Edinburgh, they there were certain places they look, you know, so my name would have come up, and you know, at, you know, there's a reality where you can you can really play to to what makes you unique, and there aren't that many black women comedians in Edinburgh. So like literally all the black people came to my show. It was, I had, it, I, <laughs> I had the best dancers. I did be dark. My room would be full of dancers one day, be full of spoken word comics the next day. You know, like all the black creatives will go into all the other black creative shows, you know? So that little network is, is as much as we don't want it to be a tiny network. It is really like, it is really lovely. And my work in progress, like, I, I, I remember that Edinburgh so well. I had such a good time. <laughs> so, and it was a free fringe. Yeah. And I had um, I, my favorite thing. Ricky, I'm fully aware that you've got so many questions because I've not even let you comment <laughs> on the debt that I uh, got in. So we'll get there in a minute. But my favourite thing about Edinburgh is when people started doing the free fringe and I would be up and around, I'd be doing gigs, I'd be doing work and then I'd bump into a circuit comedian, a friend of mine, so not even someone who's famous. And, and this isn't just one person. This would happen time and time again. And they'd come out of their free fringe show and I bet Athena had this. Um, and they'd have a rucksack on and you could just feel their shoulders sort of, because you'd be walking around Edinburgh talking to these people who would just be given loads of cash from doing their free fringe shows. And so their, their rucksack would just jingle with money as they walked around. Yeah. Don't name names because HMRC might be listening. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, good man. Not Athena. I never... Not, not me, though. Athena's I bag was always... Athena's bag was always empty. It was really, really <laughs> sad. Um, Ricky, uh, we're, we're throwing out a lot of jargon. We're talking like people who know Edinburgh and you don't know Edinburgh. We're talking like people who know this industry. Um, do you have <laughs> thoughts, questions and observations 
on what you've heard. And you can ask me why I thought spunking away £15,000 was a good idea if you want. <laughs> I have so many questions. Okay, so all right, first, first of all, what is like the financial process like? Because it seems like the bigger your show was, the more money you lost. So what is what was going on there? Like where where did that money go? Okay, so it's it's all about, and you learn this a lot in comedy normally, if you're doing tour shows and stuff like that. But Edinburgh is a lot about what they call the door splits, mm-hmm. and the door split is in Edinburgh the key. And basically, what that means is, if you're given ten pounds per ticket how much of that £10 is even coming to you before you then start talking about the expenses, the mm. flyers, the travel, the accommodation, the marketing, the PR, the accountants, the taxis, the blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and some rooms have really good door splits in terms of they can be a 50-50. Um, I don't know what it's like on the free fringe, but a lot of the time on the free fringe, you pay your money up front and then it's not a door split. You just get to keep all of this money. So so in terms of financially, that's the big thing you're looking for right at the beginning. Would that be would that be fair, Athena? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the door split and the, and the room guarantee as well, which I mentioned earlier, the room guarantee is really important because before you take money home, the venue will just take every 100% anyway, if that makes sense. Mm. So you, you have to take two, three, four grand or whatever before you get mm. any money coming back to you. But there's a there's the free fringe, there's the, um, I don't know, paid fringe or, or whatever that you want to call it. And then there's something in between, which is like a bit of both, which is where you get ticket split issue. Because on the free fringe, you get 100% of your money. The free fringe is completely free. I can't stress, you mm. just, they give you room for free, they give you the tech for free, and it's clearly free. It's terrible most of the time, um, <laughs> but, it's, it's, but it's free. And you, you take all the money. Your only job is to get people in the room to buy drinks. Basically, that's your only job. Mm. That's why the free fringe is great. And then you just pay for your marketing costs. Um, but this new middle way is where you can, it's pay what you want at the door, but also people can reserve tickets if they want. So I think like Just the Tonic does that. Um, I can't, I can't Hive and Monkey Hive, Barrel, yeah. I think, do that as well. Yeah. And that's where you have a bit of, uh, you know, you have to think about your door splits and blah, blah, blah. So it's nice that there's three options because you get that choice. Um, but yeah, that with the with the costs, the costs are basically your ticket splits mm-hmm. and your marketing spend and accommodation, um, oh, yeah. which you can yeah. park for one side. But your marketing spend is really like where you can where you can piss it all up a wall. Quite frankly, you can go, <laughs> you can go overboard because you want people to watch the show um, more than anything. Um, mm. And suddenly things start to look like value for money. <laughs> That might not be value for money, <laughs> you know, but you want people to, you know, I, I've paid for massive billboards, um, but I, so all the money I've paid on marketing, spent on marketing, my most effective bit of marketing was paying for little A3 posters to go around the city that was, that was shared with like eight other people, seven or eight other people. And that was always, that was the, thinking of all my Edinburgh's, that was the most effective thing. And it was cheap mm. and it was chirpy uh, because if you've got eight pictures, eight, eight, if you've got eight flyers or posters, mm. And I'm one of them. Who's going to stand out? Ah, right. Um, and it's that you know, like I said, like it sounds ridiculous, you know, like to yeah. to be to champion tokenism and to champion the the dearth of black and minority acts in Edinburgh. But there is a reality that if you see if you oh, if you see kind of eight white guys and you see me, you might be tempted just to come watch my show. 
Mm. (laughs) Um, Because people really want to listen to different people tell comedy. They really want it. They're interested mm. in it. Um, especially people who've come out to Edinburgh from London and Birmingham and Leeds and Bristol. Mm. Um, so that was the most effective thing I ever did. But oh my God, you can piss so much money off a wall on marketing. It's just wild. Marketing and PR. I mean, yeah, Ricky, PR, you've been yeah. given you've been given careers advice by Jimmy Carr saying, uh, just keep be a doctor, don't be a comedian. I would say get out of medicine and comedy and get into PR, mate, because... Um, I think it's changed a little bit. And this is, I'm talking peak. I'm talking before the credit crunch. I'm talking when people have money uh, back in the mid 2000s. I'm talking, you know, all this stuff. Like you can spend two and a half grand on PR. Like you genuinely can spend that much on PR. And if you don't know what PR is, PR is basically uh, someone telling journalists to write about your show to try and get punters to come and see your show. You know, it's a PR is, is an extension of the marketing thing, basically. And, and there are, there are very good PR people who do it for 500 for a thousand. And there are rubbish PR people who do it for 500, a thousand. And there are excellent PR people who do it for two and a half grand. And there are people who are taking the piss who are doing it for two, (laughs) like every industry like there are great people and bad people. There are people who work really hard and there aren't. There are people who, who don't. Mm. Yeah, wow. you've got to do your research, man. You've got to basically think about like this Edinburgh, right? So you're going up, think about whose face are you seeing in the newspapers? Who's making their best joke lists? Who's doing the interviews? Who's doing the features? And then think about yeah. who's doing their PR. And, um, and also management's connected to that too. They work very close because managers kind of do your PR as well. Um, mm. And again, some managers, some management uh, companies are better with with kind of selling their acts in Edinburgh than others. So, but you you really, it's evident who's good and who's not because the good ones are making the. It's very it's a very visible thing, right? Mm. So the good ones are um, you'll be reading about them or reading about their acts, and the bad mm. ones you won't know, you won't know who their acts are. So whenever you approach a PR person, you just ask them who they represent, and they'll tell you. Uh, all yeah. their, um, their web- it's on their websites it's on their websites you know so you can just have a yeah so we have spent the first half of this podcast knocking ricky down just uh <laughs> athena and mark holder yeah. taking turns to punch ricky masindo um in his in his chirpy little face getting rid of that that smile look at him he's just <laughs> had <laughs> and so maybe we could we should spend the the second half of uh of the podcast building it up because the fact of the matter is Edinburgh can be the most amazing place in the world but also and I think this is really interesting especially recently not every comic needs to do Edinburgh and not every comic needs to go to the Edinburgh festival and I know I imagine Athena will have a better understanding of how uh, the black circuit works in London, but also not just the black circuit anymore. Actually, I'm, I'm, I've just thought of this as a realisation that I think the black circuit and black comedy in London were probably ahead of the curve five, six years ago in realising that you could make money from gigging, from ways of figuring out how to get on TV ahead of the curve from 
what they call the mainstream circuit because um because loads of people loads of great black comics loads of great comics realized that they didn't need edinburgh you know they didn't they why, didn't need why the, as a black comedian would you go to edinburgh to sell yourself to go on tv if you're not getting on tv why would you do that? This is a very discriminatory mm. workplace. Okay. <laughs> but it is. I mean, Richard, I mean, it's before Mo, Mo Gilligan got his show on, on Channel 4, there had been no black-led comedy show. I mean, Javon Prince got a show um, and, you know, that was that was fine. Um, um, and obviously, like Lenny Henry. But I don't think we were allowed. To, I don't think he's an example anymore that we can give because he's Lenny Henry. He was. He mm. He's a child of the television. I think people forget this about Lenny Henry. Like he was. He's. He was famous from the seventies as a sixteen-year-old, and he's been on TV since. He's a child of TV. He's a different. He didn't. He's not a child of the circuit. And this isn't to diss him, by the way. It's just to say that it's mm. a different thing. It's not like he's. He's learned to be a stand-up on the circuit, and then oh, the TV has found him. You know, he did a talent mm. show in the 70s and he's never left the telly. So it's, it's not even saying, oh, Lenny Henry did this, isn't a pat on the back for the TV industry. It really isn't. <laughs> Child of TV doesn't count. He's, he's TV's baby. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think that's unfair to say. Um, so why would black comedians who are brilliant, brilliant, making good money? Or, and it's not, you know, it's not just a London circuit. We did shows, shows all over the country. Uh, weekenders, bank holiday shows, you know, shows everywhere, making money getting praise, getting a following. Why would we go to Edinburgh to beg for scraps? Why? So it wasn't even that, mm. you're right, I think black comics were ahead of the curve in saying we don't need Edinburgh. Actually, it was just constant rejection. You know, mm. I remember I went, I went to Edinburgh with Judy Love um, and we did a three-hander, you know, because we, me, you know, I know Judy, we were always like, Judy, you're just amazing. Like, you're brilliant. What, what are you doing? Like, and so we thought we'd go, to, and she didn't know what Edinburgh was. So me and her and a friend of ours, we, we went out and we did a three-hander and it was cool. But like, you know, like how many people would have seen her and not seen how amazing she was? Not, they would have been like, oh, that's fine. She's nice. Now look at her. You know? um, can I ask what year that was? That was uh, 2015. So it was still a little okay. while ago. It was 2020. So I'm going to make an absolutely uh, terrible uh, admission here, um, which is, and I love Judy and I, I know Judy quite well and I've gigged with Judy and I've done lots of TV warm-up with Judy. Whenever I talk about Judy's career, I'm always like, honestly, Judy Love is so amazing. She came from the black circuit. She nailed it. She started doing the mainstream circuit. Judy Love didn't even, didn't, didn't ever have to go to Edinburgh. Judy Love didn't have to go to, like, like, realize she did that like yeah i mean this is three handers um, i mean three handers tend to get lost anywhere there's so many it's not like she went to edinburgh but she's such a great comic that she should be you know selling out those big rooms in edinburgh and gone from that onto you know yeah she should absolutely from that she should have done what i done and gone and progressed and but she didn't and and in fact if you know about judy she runs her own shows you know, because, yeah. you know, it's just so not getting that investment and buying from the from the wider kind of comedy industry means you do it yourself. But then what happened was she got so big, then the industry came after her. And I think that's mm. a really common thing. So people like um, like Mo Gilligan, I mean, Mo Gilligan is into Edinburgh, but he's not done like an hour. Um, Kay Kerr, okay, Kay's gone to Edinburgh, done an hour and whatever. But I think his success came, uh, you know, I think he could, I think if he didn't go to Edinburgh, I think he'd still probably have. A hundred percent. You know, I honestly do think that. Um, 
Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Edinburgh is you know, Darren Darren Harriet obviously has had massive success in Edinburgh, and that's I think that's paid dividends. Sophie Duco had great success in Edinburgh, so I'm not saying if you're black. And Dane Baptiste, Dane Baptiste was the first um, I think black person overall to get nominated for like a newcomer award. So I'm not saying if you go to Edinburgh as a black person, you're wasting your money. Don't bother. But I also think that it's so hard, and you've got to deal with so many politics, and you've got to deal with just so much. You, you've got to just you, you end up feeling quite self conscious about it you can find ways outside of Edinburgh to become a comedian. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, Mark, it is a trade fair. But if you see it as a trade fair, that means you can get the industry's attention other ways. You know, there are other, there are lots of shop windows out there. Um, and I, you know, I was, I've always had good Edinburghs in that I've come out of Edinburgh with work, you know, so every time I finish Edinburgh, I get, oh, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And there's a lot of work that I do now that's connected to people who I've met and who have seen me in Edinburgh. Um, but could I have got to this place without doing it? I, yeah, I think so, you know, I, I, I really do. But the experience of writing an hour, performing the hour, you know, that is, you can't buy that. Well, you can buy your experience. That's how I did it, but like, yeah. but, <laughs> you can buy it. but the point is, is like, you know, it's really good as a writer and as a performer, it's a lovely um, pivot for your year. You know, you can you build up to your Edinburgh and you do your work in progresses, then you perform for your month. And then afterwards, you've got a show that you can film, you've got a show that you can tour, or you've got like some, some lovely material for your, so your sets, or you've got an idea for a radio show, or you've probably got an idea for a sitcom, or you've probably got an idea. I mean, I got into scob comedy writing because of the people I met in Edinburgh. So actually, I take that back. I don't think I'd be a comedy writer if I didn't go to Edinburgh. I met all of the people who encouraged me to write comedy after, at Edinburgh. Um, the, the, I don't, wouldn't have got the Felix Dexter anniversary that Edinburgh. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. So that, you know, it opened my mind to what the rest of comedy could be. Up until before Edinburgh, I was just a stand up. And then after Edinburgh, I got into radio, I got into comedy writing, like I've said, uh, sketch writing and things like that. So you have to be prepared to, um, you know, you have to be prepared to kind of do not, what I'm trying to say, don't, you don't make money, but well, you can make money, but generally you don't make money, but what you can do is make the opportunity to make money. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's also, yeah. And it's also, I think, for a new comedian, because Athena touched on it then about that building up your year to Edinburgh, work in progress, writing stuff, doing the show. Even as a new comic, there is no, first of all, there is no better way of becoming a better comic than writing stuff. So the more you write, the better you get. There is no better motivation to write stuff than do your stuff for 30 days in a row in Edinburgh, because at the end of that 30 days, you hate your stuff <laughs> so much because you had to listen to your face, tell it for all that time that at the end of that, there's no motivation to go, oh, I need, I need a new 20 because I'm so bored of doing that. And that then makes you a, that then makes you a better comp. Yeah, absolutely. You always finish Edinburgh a better comedian. Obviously, I finished Edinburgh that year and went to Glee and died. But, <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, you finish it a better and more self-aware um, and just better, more embedded in the industry if you've, if you've kind of, if you've done really well. Um, um, I mean, I don't, I genuinely tell people that they don't need to go to Edinburgh, but I do say, if you go, just have really clear goals. You know, mm. really clear, you know, I'm a project manager, I have smart goals, I have them, have them smart and measured and <laughs> And also socially, like you make friends, you meet people, you you go out drinking, your 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 times 
becomes so weird. Like you're there. Did you ever go? Did you go up there with the kids at all? Did you? No, I did. I never. So I went up pregnant. So in 2018, I did my run heavily pregnant, um, which was brilliant. I had a great time. And I was really pleased that I did that. My favorite, my favorite, still my favorite comedy that I've performed as a sh- in terms of a show uh, was in 2018. Um, and, but the and year after I didn't go uh, because my little one was so little and obviously COVID came in 2020, uh, 20, yeah. so that, that, but I had, I had every intention to go up with the two of them in 2020, but. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to go up, um, do a free friend show because um, I wanted to talk. I thought, well, let me be finished show. I'll take the kid for a month. That the crack can be good. Um, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't to be for lots of us that year. All of us actually. Um, uh, Missindo, any questions at this point? Ah, questions. questions. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> this is this is one of my favourite podcasts we've ever done because I feel like this is just uh, myself and Athena. What we're doing, we're standing on top of a really high building and we've got <laughs> a variety of buckets and um, in those buckets are positive things but also negative things and uh we've just got ricky standing below the building waiting just to see what bucket is going to be thrown at us uh, at the same time is that a, is that a fair description yeah yeah it's just loads of terms just going being thrown around the room that i just need to remember Okay, so quick, what, define quickly a work in progress. Because I hear that said so many times. And no one is, like, I assume is it just your show before you complete your hour? Is that what it is? Or is there more to it? It's a way of telling people the show they come to watch isn't finished yet. You know, so you said it as a work in progress. So some people, what they do is they go to Edinburgh and they just take it for a work in progress. Very important. You've got to do it for 45 minutes. If you do Mm -hmm. it for an hour, that means when you do your full hour, it doesn't count as your debut. So you have to market your work in progress Uh, as a 45 minute show. Just so the next year when you do your hour, it's your debut hour. So you can market uh, it as your debut hour. Um, But having said that, but also you'll do work in progresses leading up to your final hour. If that makes sense. So January to... January to July, your show is a work in progress. Um, August, it's your it's your full hour. Uh, or mm. you can go to Edinburgh with a work in progress, and you just perform. Market is a forty five minute show where you just you know you're, you you know in your head it might be even complete. It might be your final show, but you just market it as your work in progress. Or you say these jokes aren't finished yet. These are ideas. So it's a bit mm. like a, a sand pit. I describe it as a sand pit work in progress. Okay. Yeah, I think it's also about managing audience's expectations um and also your own expectations if that, yeah. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense it's, work in progress is basically the solo version of a new material like, really yes. ah okay um yeah. so so yeah okay okay that makes sense that makes sense and um so do most people like when they're doing their edinburgh run like they're three four years or whatever do they write a new hour every year or like, like once you perform it is it really like that's it like that's essentially like releasing it to netflix kind of thing um yeah yeah nice i mean james acaster went up with his old hours you know one year <laughs> um i remember one year he went up and he performed all, all of his old hours um so if you wanted to watch the 2016 show or whatever and it was 2018 you could watch it i forget what year it was he did that so you you, you keep your hour in your head it stays it stays in your laptop but generally speaking, when you go to Edinburgh with a new show, it's a brand new show. 
The only difference there is, as Athena says about that uh, 45 minutes thing, I don't 100% agree with this as a concept, but I can sort of see why. I can see the logic behind it. Basically, it sort of helps you. If we're talking trade fair, it helps for your magnificent coffee cup at the end of your trade fair to have, this has been voted the best coffee cup at this trade fair because that will help you sell it to shops. So people are very keen, or used to be very keen at least, on winning awards and getting nominated for awards. And the two main awards are, and I don't even know who's sponsoring it at the moment. It might be Dave? I don't know. It's lastminute.com or something, I can't remember. It changes all the time. For a long time, Ricky, you'll hear the phrase Perrier Award. And frankly, Perrier have had the greatest sponsorship of all time because they've not had the award for a long time and everyone still <laughs> calls it the Perrier Award. Um, uh, you have the main awards, newcomer. Now, the main award, there are some stipulations in it. You can't be too famous. You can't do rooms that are too big. You can't do too much telly all the time. So it stops Michael McIntyre going up and doing a run and just going, oh, well, he's just going to win the main award because that's the best show in Edinburgh. There's a a limit to kind of... Basically, it's for people who are famous on the comedy scene but aren't famous uh, on telly and in the world yet. Mm. The other one, and people do get obsessed with this, is the newcomer. And the newcomer is exactly what it says. It's your first hour in Edinburgh as a solo performer. So what a lot of people do is they will go up and they will do 45 minutes um, or they will do a package show with them and another comedian because they then get to do their material, work it out, try it out, get some sort of buzz or profile, and then the next year they can go up as their first ever show. And then that way they can try and get nominated for the newcomer. Yeah. But also on top of that, can I say it's a marketing tool as well. So you can get press off of the fact it's your debut hour too. So it's it's very unlikely you'll get nominated for an Edinburgh award, by the way. So if you do get nominated, that's very prestigious because there are so many acts. So, um, so, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it was certainly ambition of mine when I did my debut. I thought it would be great to get nominated. And then I reflect and I was like, I think your show was terrible. What was I thinking? thinking? (laughs) I didn't have a director. I don't, you know, it was just really, it was all a shambles, really. I don't know. Just, I, it was a strange year personally for me anyway uh, so to, it was just very odd year for me to try and do that although there is a version of Edinburgh happening in 2021 it's not the same and obviously there was nothing in 2020 it'd be very interesting in 2022 when hopefully people who are listening to this podcast are thinking about going up and doing a package show or a run or whatever no one really knows what it will look like in 2022, whether it will go straight back to what it was before COVID, whether it will change a little bit, where whether they'll realise that uh, Edinburgh rooms in these tiny little rooms with no air conditioning and uh, no ventilation are literally super spreaders. <laughs> and will, they, will people realise in this time that, you can have a career like Mo Gilligan. You can have a career like Josh Jones. You can have a career like uh, Athena Corinne without playing the game as massive as 
uh, people have in the past and still do okay. Because there will be people between 2019 and 2022 who have had really good career. Judy Love is a really good example. Maybe people who... But Judy will also, if she wants to, can go in 2022, do a massive room and sell shitloads of tickets and make shitloads of money. So you have to... It has to be a personal thing. It has to be a personal thing about... And personally, the best thing about it is it's fun. Like, like, holy shit. If you like comedy and you like comedians... It is fun. It oh, is really I, I, fun. I, I like neither of those things, Mark. This is a problem. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's, it's, the crack is really good in Edinburgh, you know. Um, and actually, just I'll slightly contradict you and say one of the best things I found about Edinburgh is meeting people who weren't comedians. You know, just being, because oh. as you will know, Edinburgh is just at Edinburgh Fringe. The rest of it is at Edinburgh International Festival. I, I go to the book fair uh, every year uh, <laughs> when I'm up there. Um, yeah, you just meet so many. Um, so, you know, you just you get introduced to lots of people. I, I think if you're a comedian, my biggest, my biggest tip is to get out of the comedy bubble in Edinburgh. It's brilliant. Mm. Go circus. Another thing I used to, every, um, every time I go to Edinburgh, I go watch the circus. Uh, big, that's my big tip. Go watch a circus show. They're amazing. And I've already got a circus tent. Um, because it's like, when do I get the, When do we get the chance to watch all this stuff outside of Edinburgh? Mm. You know, especially I come from London, which is a privileged place. Imagine you don't come from London and you don't have access to all this stuff. It's on your doorstep. Mm. And you, when you pay for a venue, you get free access to all the shows, which is um, yeah. one of the bonuses I get. It's a little, it's not very, you know, it's, it's a bonus, but it's great because every venue has wonderful shows. Um, so get get out of the comedy bubble and you'll enjoy Edinburgh like 10 times more um, because there's just so many, because it's just nice to watch other creative suffer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you're suffering like us. This is nice. <laughs> it's not just comedians. Being um, it's really white though, isn't it? Like the audiences are very white in Edinburgh. And that's yeah. not just because it's in, in Scotland and because there is diversity in Scotland. You just get lots of people coming up from from England as well and all over. Like, have you found, is there a diversity problem in the festival or is that getting better, do you think? Yeah, I, I would, it's not, is there a diversity problem in the festival? It's getting better, for example. So the years I've been going up, I've seen more, I'm seeing more and more acts who aren't white, you know, um, putting the hat in the ring and doing shows, which is brilliant. And I've seen seen more audiences who, uh, and the audiences are like more diverse, which is good. So it is getting better. The problem is, you know, if you are a fan of, of a comedian um, and you like comedy, what's the incentive to go and watch that in Edinburgh? What's the incentive to get your train up and the train's really expensive because it's holiday season, uh, pay, your, pay ex, ex, very expensive Airbnb prices because Airbnb is very expensive. And then, you know, go and pay, you know, all this money to go see them in Edinburgh when you can just see them on tour or see them at your, your, your normal venues or, or whatever. Like what's the incentive, you know? Um, and I, don't, I haven't got the answer to that. Um, but it, it is why, but how can I put this? If you can perform a show in Edinburgh and it makes people laugh and it's funny, that's a real test to how well your comedy is reaching out to audiences who might not come from where you come from because comedy is very culturally specific. Uh, people in the audience do need the education and, and knowledge that you have to get your jokes. You know, I used to have mm. this one joke about supermalt, okay? I used to have to explain <laughs> what supermalt was to white audiences. Right. So, you know, b- because they wouldn't know what it was. So, th- yeah, bloody. 
<laughs> Bloody white audiences, not, <laughs> not, not yeah. That yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, ma- yeah, yeah, imagine. yeah. The tables have uh-huh. turned, Mark. So, now you yeah. don't know the terms. Don't know the terms, and we can't. I, I, we're not talking about Heineken and our gigs, mate. It's super malt and, and nourishment. <laughs> Um, what's uh, what, what's what's super what's super it's a drink man it's a drink it's not okay. it's not good for you they market it's healthy it's not healthy it's of sugar <laughs> yeah, anyway, really just, anyway that's just a public service announcement to the black community we got <laughs> we got heart problems and we got blood pressure problems you've got to deal with this but anyway moving moving on um you you know shoot like the humor is culturally specific if i have references in my jokes that require you to have an African or African descended background, and I go to Edinburgh and the auditors don't laugh. How am I going to get ahead in this industry? Okay, so a co- Edinburgh is a good way to meet people where they're at as a as an act who isn't white. We're in a white country. Um, it's still it's still like eighty eight percent white at the end of the day. Um, and people still live in monocultures. We have a very skewed view of the world. We live in cities. Most people do not live in cities. They live in towns and villages that are less diverse. Um, and uh, how do I say what I want to say without excluding people? In many ways, we do the work that maybe white acts don't do. They don't think, how can I say what I want to say without excluding people? They just do their jokes, you know? Mm. But we are thinking, how can I how can I make this joke about Windrush without make it, without people feeling like they don't understand where I'm coming from? How can I talk about mm. immigration? How can I talk about background or food or my culture or whatever? So Edinburgh is a really good way to test that. Because if you, you know, you are you will be looking at audiences who are definitely probably more distant from you than any other audience. Um and you have to work harder. Uh, but that can, that can also be why, um, you know, our shows aren't as well received. It can also be why a lot of our shows tend to be um, about us. You know, I've went up with political shows. A lot of non-white acts do shows about their identity, which is fine, by the way. I'm not against it. This is, you know, that is our luxury and our privilege to do that and our right to do it. But white shows, you can go up and do a show about their dog or their dead dog because it's Edinburgh, so I think someone else has died. (laughs) That creative freedom, you might feel like you don't have it because you're so busy trying to educate people. You might just, Mm. you know, you you really might want to, you really want to write a show about your ex-girlfriend, but actually I better write this show about Malcolm X. You know, like Mm. that's the pressure of being a a minority act in a place like Edinburgh. Um, And the show about Malcolm X might get more attention than the show about your dead dog because anyone can write a show about their dog creatively non-white acts will always get more praise for writing about things white people can't write about, okay? And that is white supremacy saying you can have your corner, but when it's, when it's stuff we can write about, we don't want to compete with us. And you can see this mm. time and time again, you see it in literary circles, the, book, the books that get nominated for like the Booker Prizes are about the black experience, you know, oh. in, in comedy, you know, it's, again, this is not a criticism, it's an observation. The comedy shows yeah. are praised about the black experience, the Asian experience, you know, uh, the Radio 4 shows that get commissioned about identity, you know, it's still a real issue. Like, can we talk about the things you're allowed to talk about? And that's f- true creative freedom. You know, that's yeah. true dismantling of the status quo. Um, and uh, by the way, like, I, I just want to reiterate this, we have every right to talk about our identity and our culturally specific things, but if we're only getting rewarded for that, then that's a very strong message that we're being sent about what our purpose and place is. And that's not a nice mm. message, is it? Um, and you have to deal with all of that in Edinburgh. I don't know why I started talking about this. I've, got, I've forgotten the question. But it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, do you know what? I, um, I don't think there was a question. Um, and I'm glad you talked about this because it's something that I've never thought about before. It's interesting that you don't get in this country many black one-liner comics. Yeah, Whereas sure. 
Whereas in America, you might have your Hannibal Barres, who we've never talked about on this podcast. And I think he's such a good comic, mm. who I met yes, the, yeah. the first time in Edinburgh. But I'm, so I'm, I'm now making a theory that only has occurred in my head in the last 15 seconds after Athena said this. But I imagine if you look in America, the bigger comics in America are doing a fuller range of stand-up. An American comic could probably do a show about their dead dog. Uh, but over in this country, I think Athena's, Athena's right, like Athena's correct about all that stuff. Would that be fair? I, yeah, I would say yeah. I would say yes. Have is, I would say where you will see it is you'll see black comics on the black circuit doing that kind of material. If you go to if you go to a black comedy gig, no one's talking about politics. Or we are talking about politics, but Jim, you know, you will see that kind of um, that full creative freedom in black rooms. You know what I'm saying? You'll see it, and you'll see it on the Asian circuit, you'll see it on the Jewish circuit, you'll see it on the Muslim circuit. That full creative, we talk about what we want and whatever we want, however we want in those rooms. It's just a question of when we do it outside of those rooms, what's getting rewarded and what's get and what's not getting rewarded. That's why, you know, Mo Gilligan's success and, and Judy Love's success um, and Dan Harris' success is, and stuff is really, is really refreshing, you know, because it's that, that's that we're starting to get to that freedom of, Oh, can we? Can you just just find us funny? We're not a genre. Black is not mm. a genre. You know, no no one who has been other this part. No, woman is not a genre. Gay is not a genre. You know, so rather than saying, oh, here's a black person about black things, just say here is a comedian doing comedy. You know, yeah. not, and that's not to erase our blackness, but it is to say we want to occupy this space, but we don't want to have to occupy it as black people, if that makes sense. And we're starting to do that, but it's very challenging to do it in Edinburgh. Um, I'll give you one example if I can really quickly. Two examples. Um, I was once reviewed at the same time as Jambi McGrath. So they just, they, someone saw Jambi McGrath's uh, show. She's a black comic. Someone saw my show and they just gave us one review. It was the same, you see what I mean? They just, they oh, just said, oh, we them at the same. So it was yeah. really odd. It, it was really, but we're two different. And the, the shows couldn't have been more different. Me and Jambi are very different comedians. Yeah. Um, and it was, that was bizarre. There was, um, I did one show, which was like, I guess it was like fairly political. And the reviewer said she was preaching to converted. Um, another person um, who was a white comic had a political show. Same reviewer said, this is all rev revolutionary and amazing. He got nominated for an award, you know? So mm. watching a black person tell the audience about themselves was, we don't care. Watching a white person say, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is, we've never seen this. Before. So again, and it's, that's the unconscious bias that coming out in that reviewer. Uh, mad unconscious bias. Like I don't want to hear a black person tell me about racism, but a white person will talk about it. That's fine. You know. Um, Are you saying that if a black comic does stuff about their identity? They are going too. They are going on too much about being a black person. <laughs> and if they and if they don't talk about their identity, they're, they're accused of not going on about their identity. It's, is that um, it's oh. a dilemma? Yeah. The thing you have to answer about race and racism is it makes no sense. Okay, it's no. irrational. Okay, it never makes sense. It's so weird. It's so weird the way we judge people and have expectations based on what people look like and where they come from. Mm. And that that um, oxymoronic situation is exactly nailed on the head. Um, and however that, whether that pays off for you, whether it, whether it doesn't pay off, is what, what, what way is the wind blowing <laughs> that, yeah. that day? Like, it's, <laughs> 
and you can overthink it. And that's why, so like, and we said this earlier, like, that's why I don't tend to say to people, Edinburgh, you take it or leave it, you know, because yeah. if you take it, there are lots of benefits, but if you leave it, you don't have to think about all this stuff and you just get to be a creative and do, do what you enjoy doing. Um, to go because Ricky's got a gig that he has to go to. Ricky's doing a gig <laughs> at 11 a.m. Look at this. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. is it a baby gig? Yeah, it's a bunch of babies. Yeah. Oh, I've got a baby. I've got I've got a baby gig tomorrow. They're great. Yeah, yeah I'm really excited for it. Like it's called um, Aftermath, I think. Yeah, it's gonna be... <laughs> uh, yeah fucking adorable. Um, yeah. Um. So we will finish this, but we will finish this. Um. Um. If you don't mind, the white guy always has to have the last word. I am <laughs> so. There's Athena said something that I've never thought about before, and it's really fucked me off as someone that likes comedy. Which is, we've talked about black gigs before with uh, with Nathan, with Tanya. We've talked about uh, and and Dane. We talked about this this culture in London that there's a a black circuit in London that we don't have in Bristol and although sometimes black gigs will come here we don't have that that circuit I'm, I'm not really fucked off that all the black comics that I see on the circuit have got other stuff that they do at black gigs that I don't really get to see <laughs> like, <laughs> like, as, as primarily an audience member as someone that loves comedy I'm now fucked off that I've been going to see comedy for like 30 years. All right. What are you talking about? There's there's a whole different type of comedy <laughs> that I'm not that, that's about people's experiences that isn't just about identity. It's just funny people being funny. And I'm uh, fucked <laughs> off. <laughs> Soaking. <laughs> Where's Mark gone? Mark's fallen off his Fuck chair. Him. Yeah, he's, he's gone. He's gone. Do you know what, Mark? You, he, even though they're, they're black gigs, but you can't. We let you into them. Like we'll let you in. Just tell them. Yeah. Tell them, tell them I'm Mark and Athena. They let you in. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll know. Have, we all know each other. <laughs> I don't have those gigs in Bristol. Like I don't yeah. have enough spare time in London because I'm always working in London. The circuit. One thing I will say about the black circuit, which is a very defined thing, it's not run by many promoters. It's probably about maybe four or five promoters up all the gigs, and it's not been the greatest at kind of expanding around. I mean, it's it's generally it's not about the arts, about making money first of all. So yeah, um, but no one sat there going, "How can we bring black comedy to Bristol?" Like it's just not their priority. Yeah. But it's a real shame that no one sat down and sat down and thought, "How can we?" How can we do, you know, how can we go about all we, I mean, I don't know if you've chatted to Ori Styler, he, he tours his shows all around the country when he does his shows. Um, and it does, it does happen, but yeah, get down. When you, it's very hard to explain to you how much talent there is on the black circuit. I mean, I never really, I do black shows. So I wouldn't say I'm established on the black circuit. I, I, it's, it's so, it's so incredible that it's only now we're starting to really realize what we've lost and there were so many comics from maybe the early 2000s and the 90s and noughties who who are missing out on this now and they didn't deserve to miss out on it because they're so so brilliant um mm. but it, you know that was my privilege going up in london having access to like hackney empire and um catfoot and all that stuff and and watching brilliant comics do brilliant things and for a long time everyone was like oh the best you could do is richard blackwist you know that's like the, as high as you can get and that's still high, by the way. Um, but mm. now that's starting to change, and, and that's a brilliant thing. It's it's uh, it's it's overdue. 
Um, Ricky, talking about Bajou, you might be late to your gig, but are there other any other questions you want to ask uh, Athena before we? Um, how's the baby, by the way? Is he all right? Fast asleep. Fast asleep. Ah, <laughs> that's so cute. That's so. But cute. it also does. It also does show that uh, this podcast is really good for sending people to sleep. Um, <laughs> Ricky, any other questions before you uh, before we we leave? Um, no, I don't think so. But I guess just the main thing is it's good to hear being a black person going to Edinburgh. Like it, it can be done. Like even though there mm. might be obstacles, like it can be done. Like even like hearing like Dane um winning like, like being like the newcomer award like being nominated and stuff like that it's like it's just a good sign that things are changing i guess absolutely what i was saying earlier about identity the more of us that go up the less that's going to be an issue because there'll be so many of us it's yeah it's going to be a natural um spread and a growth in, in what we talk about and what people are used to seeing us talk about you know, and you know, yeah. it's, it's happened. I mean, Kwame Sunday um, got nominated, I think. Kwame's so funny. He, he, are you trying to be a doctor? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Kwame's yeah. A, a doctor now, actually. Um, oh, wow, so, that's so many. Um, <laughs> I know there's, there's, there's a lot of young black doctors getting into comedy. It's yeah. Become a, it's become a thing. Michael yeah, Adua. Michael Adua, yeah, like, I'm, uh, like he went to uni with my sister. <laughs> Is she a comedian too? Yeah, no, she's not. Far from it. She's an accountant. <laughs> yeah. but another, I don't want to keep you, but another thing, I've got a friend who's a doctor and a comedian, and she says her being a doctor doesn't get her as much currency as men. Because when men sell the doctors, everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. But when yeah. she says it, people think she's showing off. Do you know what I mean? It's that, kind of gen- <laughs> it's that gender yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. that's a really I, I, interesting. And yeah. I said, yo, write about it, because it's disrespectful. Yeah, you know, that's probably it's true. It's disrespectful. But to go to the whole thing that, oh, no, go to your gig. I'll be talking all bloody morning. Like, <laughs> go. I, don't I, wish, I wish we could continue this. Yeah, no, so I, I don't, if I'm honest. I don't, because because uh, it's made me actively grumpy. Uh, <laughs> that Because, and yeah, I am right. I think there should be more black comics going to Edinburgh um, specifically to cater for the needs of this white guy. Yeah, I said <laughs> <laughs> um, it. Just, it genuinely, because uh, Athena is doing, um, uh, is on a festival in London at the end of August. Yeah, Comedy um, Fest, yeah. Comedy Fest. And the lineup of that looks so amazing. I actually um, emailed them yesterday about trying to get a minibus of comics from Bristol to go up and uh, oh, and go. So fingers crossed that might happen. Um, and because you know I'm at heart a comedy fan, and all comedians are at heart comedy fans, and all comedy fans want to go and see as much comedy and as much different comedy as possible. That's what we love about comedy, and 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 that's why. That's just what I want to see everything. I want to see, you know, I want to see it all. I don't want to do them. I want to watch them. Like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a punter. I want to watch those gigs. Um, Athena, thank you. Ricky is aware now that put Mark Olver and Athena Cabrera in a room, uh, you press record, and uh, frankly, as long as the baby's asleep, it could just go on forever and ever. <laughs> yeah, those babies yeah. are going to be toddlers by the time you get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, uh, Athena, thank you, oh, and um, we'll see you soon. Yeah.
Thanks a lot, Athena. Oh, so captain, good. my captain. All right.